Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, in mind to lead me through the night. Won't you turn to your neighbor? Do not be seated yet. Turn to your neighbor. I want you to say hunger. Say it again. Say hunger. Maybe you tell them I'm hungry. I'd like to turn our attention to Genesis 25, starting at verse 29. Genesis 25 and 29. The word of God says, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I am starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. In verse 31, all right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I am dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Our last verse, verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal and got up and left. He showed contempt or disregard for his rights as the firstborn. One last time before you're seated, can we just close our eyes? Lord, we thank you for your wonderful presence that we feel in this place today. God, we know you are calling us to a deeper place and a deeper dimension in our walk with you. God, we surrender our minds and our hearts in this moment that you would speak, that you would change, and that you would transform every person in this building today. In your wonderful name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to start off by saying that I am a blessed man. I was born into a family of Jamaicans who know how to cook. Come on now, where are my witnesses at? Anybody heard any jerk chicken? You know if you've had jerk chicken before. You know the blessings that have flowed through my life. Every get-together, every holiday, every baby shower was, was and still is filled with wonderful, diverse and extremely tasty dishes. My siblings can cook. My cousins can cook. My parents can cook. My grandparents can cook. My aunties and uncles can cook. My second and third cousins can cook. My daddy's third cousin on, by marriage on the other side can cook. I'm blessed. In addition, I married a woman who can cook. My very presence behind this pulpit today is a testimony to how good I am living. For the past 12 years, I have been blessed. I don't exaggerate because I simply love my wife, but I can honestly say that not one of you in this building today have a better spouse than I do. Not even close, I promise. 
I'm not talking about boxed craft mac and cheese, but I'm telling you that every meal is beyond restaurant quality. Every meal is beyond the typical meals that a stay-at-home mom would cook on a Tuesday night after a long day of work. It's amazing. I invite you over to partake in these meals. We're going to get serious here in a moment because I feel like the Lord's been dealing with me on something, but I just want to let you all know that I am a blessed man. I remember when we first started dating, Jackie and I, and one day after work, I was hungry and already had in my mind made up what I was going to make when I got home, and, and I showed up and unlocked the door, and I walked in, and Jackie was in there, and she had a whole spread of Jamaican cuisine. Woo! This is when we were first dating. She had curry chicken. She had white rice, rice and peas. She had jerk chicken, curry goat. She did it all. I walked home, and I'm like, what is going on? It was that moment that I knew that I would marry this woman. <laughs> I had found out later that Jackie had gone behind my back months prior and got with my grandmother and got with my mother, got with my aunt, whose curry chicken is the best, and she started taking notes, and she started documenting all the recipes, and she started practicing and gathering all the right ingredients and preparing for this moment when she was going to show her man who learned how to cook Jamaican food? She revealed it to me on that day. My wife has made comment before that if for no other reason God made our paths cross simply so I could introduce her to Jamaican food. I love me some Jamaican food. In a book called The Psychology of Eating, the author writes, the psychology of eating is important to explore for two main reasons. It can help you understand your cravings better should you have any desire to control them. And it can help you see through the marketing of big food brands that have done a huge amount of research to figure out how to hook you with their products. The writing goes on to point out some various facts, but one of the interesting realizations I had, it mentions this, that rituals can actually make food taste better. What do you mean, Brother Drew? Well, we all know this fact to be true because think of when the Oreo came out, the Oreo cookie, and all the associated commercials with the Oreo cookie. There was a specific way that Oreos were marketed and there was a way that they were intended to be eaten. Everybody know that you split the cookie apart, you see the commercial the little kid, and you lick the, the cream on the inside, and then once you're done, you eat the two cookies that remain. Now, once the commercials promoting this particular way on how you eat an Oreo ended, every single person in this room today has a particular way that they eat an Oreo cookie. Tell me that I'm lying. Your ritual may be a little bit different than mine. I have a certain way I like to eat Oreos, but I guarantee that 99% of the time you will eat that Oreo in that same way. In one experiment conducted by the University of Minnesota and Harvard University, 52 students were split into two groups and they were given chocolate bars. And one group was told to break the chocolate bar in half, then to unwrap one side at a time and eat the halves individually. 
The other group was given no direction, and they just tore into the candy bars as they saw fit. According to the results, the group that followed the two-step ritual rated that their pleasure was higher, and the chocolate was more flavorful than those who just ate their bars. Another fun fact, each person prefers certain textures of food, and food companies know that, and they target you based on your preference. I'll tell you right now, I hate the texture of grits. Ugh. It's like voluntarily just eating throw up. It's disgusting. It's, ugh. Whew. It's not my thing. But companies are pouring a huge amount of money into research and targeting certain people who like certain textures. I found this really interesting that 43% of the market are chewers. You like chewy stuff. 33%, you're crunchers. That's me. I like a crunch. I like a good crunch. You know, It's good. I don't like grits. Ugh. Then you have smoothers, the ones who like the smooth and the gooey stuff. And then you have suckers who like lollipops and Werther's caramel candies and you know, all that stuff. That's only 8% of the population. But through their branding of various products, they are targeting you based on your preference. Chewy Chips Ahoy cookies and crunchy jacked Doritos. There were over 21,000 nude food packages in 2022 that marketed using a texture claim in their title. That's roughly double the number in 2018. Another fun fact, your perception of how much you're eating can make you feel more or less full, even if the amount of food is the same. So for example, if I was to take a, an amount of food and put it on a plate, and let's say that food covers only a quarter of the plate, 25% of the plate, but I was to take that same food and put it on a smaller plate, Eating off the smaller plate, you would feel more full because of your perception. Your perception of how much you're eating can make you feel more or less full. The sense of smell represents over 80% of all flavor. You already know this because you can pinch your nose and put a piece of candy in your mouth and you're unable to determine anything about the flavor you might be able to taste that it's sweet, but other than that, you cannot determine the flavor. Dr. Stephen Roper, a neurobiologist in, at the Colorado State University in Fort Collins, he explained that without a sense of smell, you would never know the flavor of shrimp. Huh. Shrimp is 100% based on the smell. Understanding the way smell contributes to taste is all about two different types of smelling. There's one called orthonasal, which is sniffing in, and there's one that's called retronasal, which is from the back of the mouth when you taste food. And while we not, may not be aware of it, vapors that come from our food while we are breathing is what stimulates the cells in our nose. This is how smell contributes to flavor. We don't realize it because we are all usually focusing on the textures and different things when we're tasting and conversations, but it matters. Smell matters to the flavor of the food. 
You know this because from a five-star quality chef who spends hours cooking a dish, you can smell the difference versus a McDonald's hamburger that just came fresh off the assembly line, but it skews our perception and the way that we view food, and it's incredibly powerful. After reading all of this and being amazed by the researchers and the scientists and the psychologists and all the different people who've done research on food and food science, I realized my own fun fact. That food always tastes better when you're hungry. 100% of the time, food always tastes better when you are hungry. I see y'all nodding your head. You're like, I'm hungry right now, Brother Drew. You're playing with my emotions. It's after going on a hike or swimming in a pool for hours or running around at the park with the kids that the taste of food is just better. Maybe for you it's after a good workout or maybe you get so busy during the day that it's not until your stomach starts rumbling that you start to seek out some food and some nutrients. Think of the holidays when you're invited over to a friend's house or a family member's house. You will wait to eat anything too heavy hours before because you want to save your appetite for the meal that's being prepared for you. You don't stop at Wendy's and eat a big old greasy hamburger before you get to Christmas dinner. You just don't, you don't do that. You don't crack open the party-sized bag of Doritos 10 minutes away from Grandma's house when you know that her infamous chicken and hot apple pie is waiting on you. You just don't do that. Some of you won't even eat all day, saving every crevice of your stomach for space for that holiday meal. Come on now. You know it. You'll wait all day till 6 o'clock. They said, dinner's at 6. I'm waiting till 6. I'm fasting. I'm fasting fasting for the Lord. Because you know the food is going to taste better if you show up hungry. If you show up with an appetite. I look at the story of Esau and Jacob in the book of Genesis. These two men were the sons of Isaac, the grandsons of Abraham. Such a wonderful legacy and but I have a truly a hard time understanding how someone could trade their entire birthright for a plate of food. In verse 32, Esau says, look, I am dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? He was so hungry that he gave it all up for probably what was a mediocre bowl of stew. When your body is depleted of nutrients, or when you have expelled an excess of calories through hard labor or exercise or active recreation, your brain starts the process of releasing a hormone called ghrelin that stimulates appetite and tells you that you are hungry. 
when I study the word and start to realize how God created the intricacies of our anatomy, and I get excited because I start to see that there's a reason and a purpose for everything that he has set into motion. Jesus loved using analogies, and I don't believe that his love for analogies was only limited to the stories he told when he walked this earth, but I think it's throughout all of creation and everything that we see and say and hear and feel and taste. Listen to how hunger affects our actions, our response when the hormone is being released in our body. Ghrelin is termed the hunger hormone because it stimulates appetite and it increases food intake. When administered to humans in a test, ghrelin increases food intake by up to 30%. It circulates in the bloodstream and acts at the hypothalamus, which is an area of the brain that is crucial to the control of appetite. Ghrelin is the body's natural way to tell you that you need nutrients, and if not satisfied, listen to what he says, it forces you to respond by increasing its release and its volume. Hunger produces response. Hunger produces participation. Hunger produces action. What happens after we're full? Listen, if we are not careful, we will begin to satisfy our desires and our hunger by consuming things that keep us so full that we no longer have an appetite for God nourishment that we no longer have an appetite for the calling or the birthright that he has given us, that we have filled ourselves with so much outside things to consume, that when we come into this place, there's no room left for the things that God has to offer. Would you trade it all for something that will only satisfy in a moment? 1 Peter 2 and 2, it says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Church, I'm not here today to only repeat what we've heard so many times that there are things battling for our attention, that there are things fighting for our souls, there are things and forces that are working against us. But I am here to remind us that our desire and hunger for the things of God must be maintained. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't come natural to us. Our flesh doesn't automatically support going to church Our flesh doesn't automatically support worship, worshiping enthusiastically. It doesn't support the lifting of our voice and dancing in the spirit and studying the word of God. Our flesh is in opposition to this maintaining of desire for the things of God. But still, we must maintain our hunger. One good service isn't enough. Praying over our food is not enough. 
just showing up, it isn't enough. The hunger must be maintained. As I was reading these scriptures and putting together this message, I started thinking of all the camping trips I've been on. And I started thinking how many times I've been in charge of building the fire. And to build a fire for all the boys and Girl Scouts in the room, it takes some time. It takes some materials. It takes some ignition, some igniting of some things. And once that fire is going and you got all the right materials and the right combination of wind and wood and dry wood and all the different kindling and all these different things, what happens to the fire if you just leave it alone? It burns out. Just like our hunger and just like fire, it has to be maintained. We have to feed the fire. You have to stoke it. You have to move the wood around. You have to do different things. You got to blow on it sometimes to make sure the ambers get going again. And you got to maintain the hunger. Saying you love Jesus, it just is simply not enough. Before Jesus' death on the cross, he explains what he will go through and the things that he must suffer. And in this passage of Scripture, Peter was just not having it to my Lord. It's not going to happen. But look what Jesus says in response to Peter in Matthew 16 and 23. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Hmm. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What will you do? What actions will you take? What will you do to build up a hunger, a a hankering, as someone says, a, a propensity for the things of God, for the things of his kingdom, the word? Or can my passions be found elsewhere? Can your passion be found in safety? Can it be found in comfortability? In financial stability? Maybe in career and family? The Hebrew word for choose is bakar, which means to choose, elect, or decide for. And this is the word that's used in the book of Joshua when he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm I'm here to declare that it's time to choose. You choose and decide for yourself who you will serve. Will you serve and crave and desire the things of the world or will you choose to serve God? Choose to surrender your whole heart to God, not just portions that feel comfortable. He wants to be close to you. God wants you to draw near to him. His power is stronger than any fear. 
that you can experience. His peace is endless. His power is everlasting. He won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants you to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. I love how obvious the author is here. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. In verse 18, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. What an analogy there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. At a NAYC, which is the North American Youth Congress meeting that happens every other year, A few years ago, Brother Mark Brown, he said these very powerful and life-changing words. He says, our problem is not attention. It is our appetite. That which we have an appetite for is what we are going to give attention to. That which we have an appetite for is what we are going to give attention to. I ask you today, what are you hungry for? What do you desire? Do you desire the things of God? Do you desire to be in close relationship with him and to see those around you experience every good thing that he has to offer? Just like the plants And the trees and the flowers, they grow intentionally towards the sky out of an innate natural desire for sunlight. In that same way, are you growing towards the one? The one who gives life. The one who breathes breath into the very lungs that are in your body. The one who created, as Sister Kaylee said, all creation. If your heart and your mind, your soul longs for an audience with the almighty God, the one over all the heavens and the earth, then hunger requires a response. Hunger produces response. It produces participation. It produces action. 
Our actions every day should reflect a craving for God's Word and fellowship with God Himself. If I spend an hour before church listening to the news, my worship will be affected when I come into this place. My willingness to be transformed by the Word of God is affected depending on what I do before I step into this building. If Monday through Friday I spend the majority of my time spending all my mental capacity on work and friends and TV and taking care of the bills and the house and the kids. And when I walk into this building, it's going to take some time for me to prepare myself with a meal with the master. But if I choose to maybe do some spiritual calisthenics throughout my week, if I choose to work up a spiritual appetite by praying, by consuming more of his word, by witnessing, I've made myself hungry for an experience that can only be fulfilled by the presence of the almighty God. When I work myself up into a spiritual hunger, I've allowed myself and made myself willing to be filled by what only God can offer. That which we have an appetite for is what we are going to give attention to. What is the longing of your spirit? Do you desire to see your neighbors saved and to receive the revelation that you've received in your life? If you've said yes to that question, then what actions have you taken? If your desire is that a coworker would be healed, from an affliction that he or she has been dealing with for years and years, and you want to be the one to reveal to them that Jesus is a healing God, then what actions have you taken? If you're like me and your desire is to see revival in Everett, in every corner, in every house, that businesses would have to open their doors to us because we can no longer fit in this building, then what actions have I taken? What actions What's my response? If I don't understand everything that the Word of God is telling me and I want to understand it more and I want to, for God to reveal himself to me and I want a close relationship and I want him to prove himself that he's real and active in my life, then what's my response? What actions have I taken? What is the longing of your spirit? Jesus said that, we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. We can't just simply partake in the things of the flesh and think that we will survive and one day sit close to the throne of God. But we don't just live on bread alone. We don't just live on things that the flesh is satisfied by, but we have to live off of every word that comes from God. Lord, I want to stay hungry. I want to stay hungry for the things of your kingdom and your, your plan for your people. I, I don't want to become complacent in my blessings and forget that my desire for you should, be, should match the desire that you have for me. Help us to stop consuming what keeps us full. Keeps our spiritual stomachs just so full. We can't do anything. You've all heard of food comas. God, help us to not fall into a spiritual coma after partaking in so much 
that we have nothing left to give. I'm closing, if the musicians can come. I read that story of Esau and Jacob, and I thought to myself, I don't want to be like Esau. I don't want to trade the call to an eternity with the king, my birthright, what God has given me for something that quenches my appetite for just a season. He traded it all for a bowl of stew because he was hungry for the wrong thing. Esau could have waited a little while longer and could have found some food somewhere else. It wasn't the only thing, I'm sure, that was offered. But he was hungry for the wrong thing, and his actions were a result of that hunger. I pray that God helps us to be more like his brother Jacob, to have such a strong desire for God and the things of God and his blessings that he was willing to wrestle an angel. He was willing to wrestle an angel. I don't know about you, but I've never wrestled an angel in my life. Maybe one day I'll get the privilege, but I've never done that. And Jacob was so serious about God's blessing that he was willing to do anything. It's time to stop knowing God only through preaching, only through someone else's worship, but It's time to get close to God. To only know God as a philosophy and an ideology is not enough. What are you hungry for? What do you desire? Get to a place where you don't want to leave the presence of God. At the beginning of this service, we were praying as a team and going through the the day's plans and the presence of God just fell. In the back of my mind, I didn't want to leave, Brother Noah. I wanted that to just be it. I want that. But I knew that I had to preach today. I knew we had a service that had to go forth, and I didn't want to leave. Get to a place where you don't want to leave the presence of God. God responds in so many ways to our actions, but His Spirit and His presence is a response to our response. If you need to completely reprioritize your life and that's what it takes, then do it. Because that which we have an appetite for is what we're going to give attention to. The worship team is going to play and sing and maybe you step out and make your way to the front or maybe you just pray where you are, maybe you get on your knees. But I challenge each of us today to do an honest assessment of the appetite of our spirit. What is my spiritual appetite? Do I hunger for anything more? Am I comfortable where I'm at? Am I comfortable where living faith is at or do I desire more? Do I desire more souls in the building? What is my spiritual appetite? 
Where have my desires been lately? Do I find myself craving more of the things that God has to offer? Or has this scale been lopsided for some time? Well, I present to you a moment right now in this place to right the balance and to put God back in his rightful place. I'm so moved by this passage of scripture, Ezekiel 34 and 11. It says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back to their home, to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hill. I myself, I myself, this is God speaking, will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the Sovereign Lord. I'm reminded that He is searching for me. That He is searching for you, son. That He's searching for you, daughter. That God is on the prowl. He's looking for those who will just say yes and surrender their lives to His desires. He is out searching far and abroad and he's saying, son, will you just spend some time with me? Will you just give up some of those other desires and those other things that you're craving and just spend a little time with me? Just spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Can you give me an hour of your week? He is searching for his sheep. And trust me, the place that he's going to bring you is beyond anything that you can experience on this earth. So I wonder if we can all stand. We're going to begin to pray. As I mentioned, if you'd like to come down to the front and pray, or if you just want to stay where you are, but let's look at our hearts. Look at our desires. By hungry for the right things. Lord, I want to stay hungry for the things of your kingdom. Lord, forgive me, God, if my desires have been out of line, God, if they haven't been in tune with what your heart wants and what you desire for my life. God, in this moment, I re-surrender every thought, every action. Capable of, God, I surrender it to your plan and to your will. Because, Lord, I recognize that there's nothing that tastes better. There is nothing that feels better, God, than a moment in your presence. Oh, that just a day in your presence is worth a thousand on this earth, God. And I surrender right now in this moment. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series. Or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. Ghost, you give me peace.